John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I am aware that many people are already taken up with the thoughts of this season of the year and with all that it entails. I have to say, however, how sad that so much takes place at this Advent season, which is contrary to all that the Lord Jesus Christ lived for and died for. Indeed, when we examine the word Christmas, it should grieve us that the name of our blessed Redeemer should be associated with the blasphemy of the Mass. That hurts the true believer, and I'm sure it's grievous to God Almighty. The words of John chapter 3 and verse 16, taken from our Lord's discourse with Nicodemus, are worth considering and remembering. For God so loved the world. Where could you ever read more beautiful words and language? Not even Shakespeare or any of the other great renowned world writers. But this comes from the inspired pen of John the Apostle, inspired of God the Holy Spirit. And it's the voice of God to human beings. It's his voice to us tonight. For God so loved the world. What better theme could you dwell upon? What's more thrilling than the story of love? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This well-known verse of scripture is a message in itself, from which there is much to be gleaned. And we want to glean some of those things, not everything, but just some of those things in the text tonight. First of all, we notice the passion of the message. What great passion is here? For God so loved the world. What great passion. It is always good to reflect upon the immeasurable love of God. We can't dwell upon anything better. A love so wonderfully displayed in our Savior's humble birth and atoning death. We see in this text the mystery of his love. It is impossible for us to understand how God could ever love a world of sinful and wicked men and women. And yet he does. It's amazing. 
Amazing grace, John Newton said. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. As we look at the world with all its vice, with all its crime and cruelty and depravity, the result of Adam's fall and disobedience, it can all be very clearly seen. And yet the more we witness man's total depravity, the more we are mystified that God so loved the world. When we consider ourselves and examine our sinful hearts, surely we must agree with the hymn writer when he wrote the words, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. The text also reveals the magnitude of his love. Not just the mystery, but the magnitude of his love. It says, God so loved. That little word, so. Two letters emphasizes the extent of God's love. It far exceeds all human understanding. No love on earth can compare with the love of God for sinners. Sinners of this world, God so loved them. No love on earth can compare with it. The love of a man for his wife or the love of a mother for her children. These loves are strong. Strong as they might be. Can never come anywhere near. The love of God for sinners. Love divine. All loves excelling. Charles Wesley said. And the Bible tells us. In fact Jesus himself says it. Greater love hath no man than this that a man laid down his life for his friends. Now, as you think about that, do you love him for that? Do you not know him for that? Can you not love him more and more still because he laid down his life for you voluntarily, freely? No man took it from him, but he laid it down of himself. He had power to lay it down. And he had power to take it again. And thank God he rose from the dead. And he's alive forevermore. This is our Savior. This is the one who came into the world to save us. This is the one who came to purchase our redemption. The one who came to die on the cross of Calvary. The one who came to lift us out of the miry pit and to set us upon the rock and to bring us at last to heaven washed in his precious blood. Oh, do you not love him for that, friend? Do you not know him and follow him and serve him and say, even now, I wish I had given him more?
What marvelous love. God so loved the world. We can also see the manifestation of his love because it says he gave his only begotten son. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16 it happens to be without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 20 that he was manifest in these last days for you, for me. That's very personal. Manifest in these last times for you. And the Apostle John writes in his first epistle in chapters 3 and 4, he says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that wonderful? The devil's powerful. And let me tell you, you and I are no match for the devil. He's powerful. But he's not all powerful. Thank God. He's limited in his power. But our God is all powerful. He's sovereign. And praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. We see the devil let loose. He's at large. He's pouring out his evil works upon the world. It's before our very faces. It's in our very eye. We get concerned about it. We get hit up about it. But thank God, the devil and his works will be destroyed the Lord's going to cast them into hell and they'll be destroyed. And all his angels and those who serve him here on earth. Thank God for the day we were plucked out of the devil's hand. When we passed from Satan unto God, from darkness into light, Thank God for that day when we were gloriously saved and the power of sin was broken and we were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. He is a dear son. Oh, is he dear to you tonight? Do you love him the way you ought to love him? John also says he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. How wonderful that the sinless Lamb of God, on him was laid my sin, and he took it away in his death on the cross of Calvary. And my sins, which are many, my sins of childhood, my sins of boyhood, my sins of foolishness, my sins of madness, my sins of manhood, my sins right up to this day are forgiven and they'll never be remembered against me anymore. And if you're saved tonight in this meeting house, then it's the same for you. You can rejoice and shout hallelujah and praise the Lord for you know that 
the future for you is as bright as the stars in heaven. As bright as heaven itself. Because we're going home to glory. To see the city bright. And we'll walk the golden streets of heaven and we'll bask in God's own light. That's something worth cheering about. This past four or five weeks, people of the world have been cheering because of the World Cup in Qatar. And it caused some excitement, didn't it? But wait till I tell you something. We have something far greater to cheer about. Far greater to enjoy. All these worldly pleasures are but for a time. They'll pass away. And when it's all over, they'll come back home to their places where they live. And they'll forget about it. And all the problems of the world will creep in and their minds will be upset. But praise God, we have something that the world didn't give us. And it can't take from us. And thank God we have it forevermore. And that's God's salvation. We rejoice in that. God gave his only begotten son to this sinful world. Why? To save his people from their sins. Isn't it all so wonderfully simple? And explained in God's word. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 and verse 6. That wonderful Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. It says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Oh, praise God, Jesus Christ was humbly born of a virgin in Bethlehem's manger. And... God give us his son. How true. In another place we have the person of the message. The person of the message. The message of God's love is based on his only begotten son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let us never forget as the Advent season approaches and it's upon us. Let's never forget to make Christ the central theme of all that is said and done. How sad it is to realize that much will take place in the coming days and already in the name of Christ, which is far removed from all that he teaches in his word. Very different. We are glad, however, that as God's redeemed people, we can remember and worship Him as our Savior and as our Lord. As we consider the person of Christ, we are mindful of His sovereignty. The wise men who visited the house where He was accommodated inquired, Where is He? that is born king of the Jews. Where is he? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Notice they did not ask, where is he that is born to be king? No. 
Or where is he that is born who will one day be king? For Jesus Christ already is king. And he's king from all eternity. And no one will change that status of our Redeemer. He bears the eternal title as Revelation 19 verse 16 confirms. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not only the Son of God, but he is God the Son. Co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. He is the sovereign God from all eternity. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Even away back in Daniel's time, Daniel could say those very precious words. We must also recognize his sinlessness. The great fundamental doctrine of the virgin birth is one of the great pillars which the Christian faith uh, is erected upon. The virgin birth of Christ. It's hard to take in that bishops of the Church of England have denied the virgin birth of Christ. And they don't believe it. Church leaders, is it any wonder apostasy is so deep today? Is it any wonder our nation, this United Kingdom, is drifting so rapidly into the cesspool of iniquity? Is it any wonder that the devil is let loose when even the churches, if you could call them churches, I wouldn't call that man a member of the church. You're only a member of Christ's church if you're saved. And if you're not saved, you're not a member of the true church. You're a member of the devil's outfit. And I don't know how we could ever describe such Bible deniers and unbelievers and blasphemers against God and His Son. Church people, only a name, and that's all. All of us have the sinful blood of Adam in our veins. We have. We are His seed. But the one who came as a babe to Bethlehem was not of the seed of man. Bear that in mind. But he was of the seed of the woman. That makes a difference. He was the fulfillment of all that God said to the serpent in Eden's garden. Listen to it. God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Not the man, but the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost, wasn't he? In the womb of the Virgin Mary. And his blood was the blood of incarnate deity. It wasn't man's blood. It's the blood of God. Makes a difference. 
I'm washed in the blood of my divine Redeemer. I'm cleansed from my sins through the precious blood of Christ. The Son of God who loved me. It wasn't through the polluted stains of Adam's sin. But thank God Christ was wholly born, sinlessly born. And he lived sinlessly and he died sinlessly. The only thing was that my sin was laid on him on Calvary. And your sin. And for that sin he suffered. For that sin he died. For that sin he bled. And for that sin he anguished. All those hours upon the tree. And praise God he cried it is finished. The work of redemption was complete. Salvation is full. Praise God he went down into the tomb. And on the third day he rose again triumphantly. Death could not hold its prey. Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose. Jesus my Lord. The devil couldn't hold him. The world couldn't hold him. Pilate couldn't hold him. The Roman Empire couldn't hold him. Not all the military on earth could hold him. But Christ rose victoriously over them all. And he lives. And one day he's coming again. And all these evil powers of mankind. All these kingdoms of the world. Kings and presidents and leaders. Ungodly men and ungodly women will be overthrown. And they'll face the great white throne judgment. And with a non-repentant spirit. They'll be cast aside and into hell's fire forevermore. And the church of Jesus Christ will shout with a great shout of triumph. The church is not shouting much today. It doesn't know much about triumph over the sins of the world today. In fact, those sins are growing all the time. But praise God, there's a day coming when you'll shout and I'll shout. And we'll rejoice with our Saviour. And with the angels of glory, as hell and all its hordes are cast into the lake of fire, that will be the final triumph, and that will be the final rejoicing. What a day to look forward to. What a day is coming by and by. We rejoice not only in the sinlessness, sinlessness, but in his sufficiency. His blood shed in Calvary, John tells us in his epistle, listen to it, cleanseth us from all sin. Oh, the sufficiency of it. It cleanseth from all sin, not some. And not half cleansed, but it's perfectly cleansed. It's all sin. It must go underneath the blood. 
I exhort you tonight to lift your eyes and to look by faith to the shed blood of the Savior on Calvary's cross. Turn your gaze to the middle tree on Golgotha where Christ the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, made the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. He is the person in whom salvation is found. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let us trust in and worship the person of the message, his God's only begotten Son. And then there's the promise of the message. The text is clear that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. What a promise this is. As guilty transgressors of God's precious law, thank God we can be delivered by the grace of God that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. We can see here the salvation of this promise. The Apostle James reminds us that sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. However, here in John 3.16, God promises the remedy. The remedy is here that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Oh, what a remedy. May the words of the angel to Joseph Help us to remember why Christ really came. Listen to it. The angel said to Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we should note also the simplicity of the promise. For it says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's simple. There's no need to stumble over that. There's no need not to see it. It's only a sinner steeped in a sin who's blinded by the devil who can't see it. Someone who is unwilling to see it. And there are many who hear this message and they still can't see it. And I have spoken to people to try and help them down through the years of my ministry. And at times I got the reply, I can't see it. Isn't that awfully sad when people can't see it? Because it's so simple. And it's so widely made manifest in the scriptures. It's opened up for us. Doesn't it show us the need of the Holy Spirit to be at work in the heart? convincing of sin, opening eyes, and showing people their need. I thank God for the time in my life as a teenager when God wrought such a work in this heart of mine. Has he wrought it in yours? Do you know him? Have you been to Jesus? And then there is the scope of the promise that whosoever you can't get a wider scope than that. Whosoever, 
Oh, there's a lot of doctrinal argument over this word, whosoever. I don't see any need for any argument, for it's very, very plain. This takes in men, women, and children, boys and girls. You're included. Whosoever, whosoever believeth, thank God children can believe. And it takes in people of all countries and cultures and classes and colors and creeds and conditions of people. They're all included. You're not too vile a sinner to come to Christ. The hymn writer was right when he said the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we see the provision of the message. What a provision is here. But have everlasting life. Who provided that for us? God did through his son. When we consider what that really means. How grateful to God we ought to be. Christ came to give eternal life. To undeserving sinners. That's the truth. The scriptures direct us. To the place of that provision. And where is that place? Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. We read it when they were come to the place. Which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. There they crucified him. The hymn writer in thankful remembrance penned these beautiful words. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love to me, lead me to Calvary. Oh, thank God for the place of this provision. And then we are especially called to remember the price of this provision. The price was high. It was paid in the currency of the life, the death, and the bloodshedding of God's dear Son. What a price. He gave his life, the Bible says, a ransom for many. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, and the chapter 17 and the verse 1, God declared, It is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And God further declares in the epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 9, he says, without the shedding of blood, (coughs) there is no remission. You see, a bloodless gospel is no gospel. And there's a lot of that about today. And sad to say, the blood of Christ is seldom mentioned in the majority of churches in the land at this time. It is easy to proclaim Attractive messages about a little child in a manger in Bethlehem. Knowing that no one will take offense. But it is something quite different to proclaim the bleeding. The bruised man of sorrows despised and rejected. And totally despised by man. That's different. Men don't like it. They get the humps up. When they're told they're sinners. 
and they need to be saved. And yet that's the truth. Because if they die in their sins, they'll perish and be lost forevermore. The church today, with its modernistic preachers, has turned its back on the preaching of the blood. And if you examine the lyrics of its modernistic hymns, it is evident that there is no desire to sing about the blood either. How sad. No message. No message in the churches. One Sabbath morning recently, just a few weeks ago, as I was coming across here to church, I switched on Radio Ulster just to see where the service was coming from that particular morning. And it came from the Church of Ireland in the town of Antrim. And the Archdeacon, forget his name now, but I'll give his name, but I'll forget it. And he was advising his congregation to pray for their dead loved ones. And he said, who wouldn't want your loved one to be happy in eternity? Pray for them. Just as you pray for them here on earth. The blind leaders of the blind. No message. Not preaching the blood, sacrifice. No atonement. No pointing to Christ. We must preach Christ crucified like the Apostle Paul said. For we, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us it is the power of God. That leads me lastly to the power of this provision. And very quickly, the power of the cross should be seen in the lives of God's people. Every one of God's children, it should be seen in their lives. We're taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I'm speaking to God's children. I'm speaking to myself. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. May we declare with the apostle again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Let us nail our colors to the mast. Lift up the standard. Proclaim Christ. Let us proclaim his name as the only Savior of man. I trust the Lord will bless you and bless his word even to your heart.